0: Welcome to Empowered, by women, for women. This podcast brings you inspirational women and their stories, their successes, and their experiences along the way. Join us to be challenged and inspired, brought to you by Mvintage and hosted by myself, Trudy Kerr. This is one interview that I've been looking forward to for a very, very long time. Today's guest started her career in 1968 at the German Braunstatter Group in the company's sales and exports department. This journey took my guest on an amazing 44 year adventure that saw her appointed as the CEO of Playmobil Malta, being a top management member of the Braunstatter Group and acted as Chairman of the Board of Directors of Playmobil USA. Revered and outstanding positions in one of the world's most successful children's toys companies. Following her retirement, Helga Alul set up her own consulting company with the aim to use her business experience to help other companies in their strategy, governance and success. She is also a past president of the Chamber of Commerce and was awarded Medalia al Adi Ta Republica in 1994. Ms. Alul received the Officer 's Cross of the Order of Merit on behalf of the German president by the German ambassador Bernard Braun in 2011. This amazing lady is not only an inspiration for her achievements, but a bright, enthusiastic and formidable example of what a woman can truly achieve. And on top of all of this, Helga has also managed to fit in being a mother, a wife and a grandmother. Welcome, Helga. Thank you so much for joining us, for being here.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Drudy. I really am Looked forward to this interview too, because you inspired me also.
0: Well, I'm going to blush, but first up, this is about you because, um, but thank you, but this is about you because I am a huge, huge fan. And I would like to start off by just asking you to run us through your story, quite simply, because you're not Maltese, but you have had a massive impact on Malta. So where did this all start?
1: Well, actually, to be honest, I think it started way back. I had a very, very good upbringing. I had lovely parents. My father was a civil service, very conservative, nothing from business. My mother was a stay-at-home mum, but loved, we had all our friends at home, loved children, whatever. And I think from my father's side especially, he always told us the value, sort of nothing comes from nothing. You have to do hard work. You have to be responsible. You make a mistake, you own up to it, learn from it. So I think a lot of it, and in fact, especially when you get older, I think often back how much he taught me, and how much I took from him and actually gave it to my own children. But then again, I mean, I was at school, I was actually, I loved school, must say, I loved school, and was... uh, quite a good student, but I was very undecided. I loved thought of the physics, biology, maths, but I loved arts. I loved painting, design. though I didn't know what on earth I wanted to do. But then again, my father said, all right, you're going to start an apprenticeship scheme and you learn something. So then you can still do your art or whatever. So I went for a, a German company. And in Germany, it was very much that you learn by doing. So you go in a company and you still have the school on the side, very much like what MCast, in fact is doing, but it's very, very much controlled. So it's a very good scheme. So you have to go through all the stages of business. And I did that with this German company. But you know how it is, and I loved it. But then when you are in a company where you are the apprentice, you never make it. So I left the company went to another German company and was in the finance department and that really was boring. I love numbers, but it was boring. So I said, no. Not. And then, I mean, I said, there was this company in where I lived, just across the road, and just like a fluke, I said, let me see, because I had to travel a lot, you know. I mean, in Germany, I mean, to go to work, it was one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening. I said, let me see if they have maybe... Uh, an opening. So I phoned this company, a Group, and asked, and they said, all right, come over for an interview. So I went over there for an interview. I was 19, 20. They said, all right, look, we have an opening in a small company, and you have gone through sort of the whole learning curve. We'll take you on. So I started with this medium-sized company. We had maybe 100 employees. And family-run, Family, so it was Mr. Franster who ran the company. Uh, he was some 14 years older than me, so he was still as well in his early 30s. And um, I've started them, and it was funny because, um, as we were a small company, so I was mainly in charge of sales with the sales department. But you also had to do uh, be his sec- secretary. So at that date, at the time, it was still dictating a letter and used stenography, and you had to type it, you know, sort of the old, very old-fashioned way. So I was, as well, taking um, uh, sort of over this job, and he would dictate these letters for me, whatever, and he was a very dominant person. I mean, people were actually quite frightened of him, very, very strong, strong person, very tall man. But one thing I always, I mean, my German language, I was very, very good, and I knew it prim and proper. So one day, I was there as well, and he dictated this letter. I typed it, took it over. And he said, no, this is wrong. No, this is wrong. And I said, and I knew I was right, and I was fed up. I said, no. I said, this is right. This one stunned, looked at me, couldn't even believe that I had the guts to say (laughs) he was wrong. Phoned one of these older women who worked in the company, and he said, look, this young one here, she says, I'm wrong and she's right. She said, look, she actually is right. And from there on, I won him. <laughs> I won him over. So whatever I said, she knows. If she's saying she's right, she knows. <laughs> so it changed our whole relationship, really. And he would take me, on. And he was my mender. He would take me literally at his hand, take me to the production, explain the machinery, let me do small project on his own. And that's how... I learned a lot through him. And then, as I said, I was in the sales department, and sales was the international sales and the local sales. And then the sales manager left, and we had toy fair people coming. He said, You do it, you know it. But you know how it was as well. I mean, I was, what, 22, so when the toy buyers come, they said, No, we want to speak to the man. He said, No, 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 she knows. She knows how much, what you want. She can do it. Though so he backed me all the way already there. And in fact, we had opened the plant in Malta. We were at that time um, as well a bit on a, on a threshold because it was the oil crisis. So um, plastic material is a byproduct of oil. So it became very, very expensive. All our toys were actually high volume toys. So they became almost impossible to market. Our wages were very high in Germany. You hardly found people who would go to, have to work in a factory. And we were, at the time, all the toy companies were looking in the Far East, actually Hong Kong and whatever. But we were, I think we were too small and too Bavarian and German in its way. So we were looking around, where could we find cheaper locations to produce? And a friend of his, so it was no Malta Enterprise, it was a friend of his who said, why don't you go to Malta? Because we were looking at Portugal, but Portugal, we didn't understand the language. We couldn't trade away talk to the people. He said, go to Malta, very tiny island, English-speaking, very much the English system, and you can get quick results because it's so small. So he went to Malta. liked what he saw because he always loved the water as well and the sea and the Mediterranean. So we set up a very small plant in seventy-one here in Malta. It was actually literally an extended workbench because we wanted to use the lower wages and do the, the more, how you say, labor-intensive jobs here in Malta. So we had 50 people and we did everything from Germany. So all the wages were paid from Germany, all the material was sent from Germany. They just assembled and sent it back, we sold it. So it was this type of setup, but then it became a bit uh, larger and we said, look, we need to have certain administration done in Malta. Sort of like uh, the wages, like the accounts and all that. And we were actually, I mean him and me, we were discussing and looking for somebody. And then I said, listen, why can't I go? I always wanted to go away. I wanted to go abroad, see a different culture let me go and set it up with the Maltese, because we always said, let's try and train local people. I mean, very much on the same wavelength. He said, but I need you here. I said, we oh, are for one year, you can find somebody and then I come back and I have more experience. Like that, he said, all right, go and do it. And we had just the toy fair. that was 74. When I came to Malta, uh, we just had the toy fair, and we had launched Playmobil. So it was this new product which I knew the designer, obviously the German designer, and it came as well. This product was born out of almost desperation with a back to the wall. We needed with because Mr. Pranshter said, I need a product which is small, very little material because it's expensive, but I can sell it for a high value. And we had this designer, at the time they were called, Sample makers, because we weren't design and all that in, in Germany at the time. And he was a very, I mean, Mr. Beck, who designed Playmobil, was the person who could, even as a grown-up man, still think like a child. I think we all lose that when we grow up. But he still could understand what children wanted. And in fact, he came out, he said, listen, he said, we have tra- because we used to make trains, cars. He said, "But nothing, no nowhere is a figure. I mean, a plane, it's a pilot, a train it's a, a, a driver, you know, the car. He said, "Why do all the toys not have the one thing which we have in the world, which are people?" And that was his idea with his small people, and he designed it as well, seven point, uh, seven point five centimeter. It fits exactly in a child's hand. So even the thighs was very important. At that time, it couldn't move the, uh, each leg, it just moved the arms and the leg. But then again, what was very important was the face, sort of these two eyes and this smile. mouth. And we, we were not designers, we said, but don't you think we need one which smiles, one which is sad? He said, no, 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 children don't need that. They
0: have an imagination. I no. love listening to this because no. the year that you came to Malta was the year that I was born. You're talking about the smiles there and the, the simplicity of Playmobil. Yeah. I grew up with that. I grew up with Playmobil. I had some Lego, but I also had Playmobil. And, and as a graphic designer, as a designer myself, the one thing about Playmobil is it is simple. so simple. simple. But that's what children children
1: love to And he said, let them use their imagination. Don't kill it. Don't overdo it. And obviously, as well, the figure at that time fitted with the Lego blocks because Lego didn't have figures. Lego only had houses. Obviously, they very quickly saw it. And from there on, today, when you look at toys, all toys have figures. But before, you know, I mean, in retrospect, you say very logic but nobody thought of it. And the funny thing as well, Trudy, and that literally, when we we showed it at the uh, Toy Fair, and I was always at the Toy Fair, and that was a fair for buyers, not for the public. And we had from worldwide, Nuremberg is is known for its toy business. Uh, So the Nuremberg Toy Fair is an international fair. And when we showed the three figures, so it was a night which is very German, you know, you have this night and our history. It was a builder, which again, the craft, the, the, the thing. And it was an Indian, where he wanted to be a bit for international. So maybe the Americans, like the Indians, wanted to bring. So we had these three figures. And these toy buyers, I mean, obviously experts in buying toys for children, all could not understand at all what that could mean. So, nobody really, and then we had one man from Holland, from the Netherlands, Otto Simon, he was a very big buyer, he had a lot of toy shops, and he was a very good client of ours, and he said, I want that. He said, I'll give you an order, because at that time you had only prototypes, and when you get an order, you actually started producing. If nobody wants it, you didn't produce it. I mean, today it all changed, obviously, but at that time it was like that. He said, I'll give you an order for 10,000, make it. But obviously for building molds, because uh, you need a lot of different molds, each one, the wick has a mold, the, the, the head has a mold, the arms have a mold you need. And we needed as well very different machinery. We needed smaller machinery. So it was a very big investment to go into this line. Uh, so, obviously, and then Mr. and was a very clever businessman. So, it was as well the right people all at the right time. So, he said very cleverly, he went to all our big German clients, like at the time it was Karstadt, Kaufhof, Gwelle, Schicketan, Seveorte, And he wrote to them, he said, listen, he said, you know, I showed you this new which was called Playmobil, which was the name he chose because he wanted an international name and a mobile and Play. And he said, um, you, did, you weren't really keen, but I just got an offer for, from somebody who wants it exclusive. But before I give an exclusivity to somebody else, I'll ask you, you are my good clients, before I do that. And then they all wanted it because if somebody wants it, I want it too. So like that, he had enough Uh, orders in hand to actually go for it and that's how we started Playmobil and I can tell you in all fairness I think apart maybe from Mr. Beck who designed it I think none of us knew the power of that toy I think we didn't really know it as well but the minute it was in children's hand we had a we had a success children just loved it from day one And wanted more and then as well we had it i'm telling you it's the story of um, the story to 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 tell actually because then we had as well a new man uh, who joined us and he was with a company who was uh, uh, in sales on the sales department and he was with a company who did branding branded things so he said no this has to be a branded toy You have to do it properly, not, you know, because we were used to sell more on quantity. If you want 2,000, you get one price. If you want 10, you get a better price. He said, no, 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 this can't be like that. This needs to be branded properly and in a system. So he was the one who brought in the whole system that you start with a small set and in it you have a leaflet for the next bigger set and the bigger one. So you you get the children hooked because they look at this leaflet and they say, ah, but now I want the boat, now I want this, you know, and that the child actually demands what it wants. And it's a, and then, obviously, if children uh, bear inspired. So, it was the right designer, the right businessman, the right one with the marketing strategy, the right people at the right time together to make this happen.
0: This <laughs> is an incredible story. And I could sit here and listen to your stories of Playmobil for hours. Because it just seeing the enthusiasm on your face and the very fact that you were there before Playmobil even existed... Yeah. <laughs> Is incredible, and just being able to tell that journey of one of you know, the world's no, biggest I mean, children's brands. But I want to bring it back to you for a second, because you made that statement. So you told Mr. Brandstatter that he was wrong about something, yes. which he was obviously taken aback, but because you did stand up, it got you respect, yes. and it gave you opportunity. But you just mentioned that you came to Malta in 1974 you offered to come to Malta in 1974 so it's 47 years ago and one thing when I was reading about this I thought to myself 47 years ago this young lady stands up and says I'm going to head off to a small island (laughs) in the middle of the Mediterranean to a role that you know it didn't exist and you're going... How did that story but, look <laughs> for you because you're a woman going out to the middle of the Mediterranean Sea to a country that you probably have never heard of
1: No of course I have I mean I I heard but I have never been and it was very funny because then literally after the toy fair I had a small Volkswagen Beetle I put my thing th- in my car, and I drove down to Malta, which was as well lovely. I enjoyed that. It was adventure. Hang on a second. You were on your own? Yes, on my own, yes.
0: (laughs) I cannot have more respect for you, Helga.
1: It was adventure for me, you know. I said, now we're going down to Malta, and i stay there for a year. I knew some of the Maltese um, uh, youngsters who worked in our company because they were trained in Germany. And I, obviously, because I spoke English, I took care of them. So some of the girls... I knew, and they knew me. Though they knew I was coming down, and we had in Malta, we had a technical, we had a technical manager. We had a, I mean, who would know how to sort of do the production? Though so I came to be on administration. That was my role for 1AM. So and I drove down, I drove through Italy. I stopped everywhere. I found people. I, I and then it was funny as well. It was the time when you might remember where, uh, you couldn't drive on a Sunday because it was as well with petrol and pe- uh, so expensive. And I never remember I was in Rome, just outside Rome, um, in a small motel, but couldn't drive into Rome. Uh, so I wanted to go and there was, there was this vegetable man who delivered obviously to this, uh, the restaurant and thing. And I said, are you going back to Rome? He said, yes, I said, can I come with you? Because I want to go into Rome <laughs> and see Rome. So I drove, he gave me a lift. I found a lift back to my thing and I saw Rome. (laughs) This is amazing. But when you are young, you know, you're so full of adventure, no? So I, I enjoyed it tremendously. So I came to Malta and obviously this other German man who had been here from 71 onwards was a bit taken aback, I think, with me coming, what is she going to do and whatever, you know, nobody knew. I had... Very long blonde hair, but in big days. I mean, tiny. I was very much a flower bower girl, so my car was painted with big eyes and a big mouth and flowers. So me very much jeans, relaxed, T-shirts, you know. So I came to this factory. So the girls, I had the three girls whom I knew from Germany who were working with us. And they, typical, I mean, I had my desk, empty office and a desk. So they came to me and they said, now... You have to tell us what to do. I said, me? No, I haven't got a clue. Because I don't know the country. You know the country. You know how things are being done here. You need to tell me how things are done. I need to get to know first before I can even tell you anything. So, you know, we straight away had sort of this understanding of openness, of being a team and not the big boss telling me or whatever. So I said, no, you have to tell me, like... For example, we had one man who was in, in charge of accounts, and he would go to the bank every day. I said, what the heck? Are you going to Valletta to the bank every day? I said, don't they have accounts? And everybody was laughing. I said, nobody has accounts. I said, what? No, we pay in cash in a small paperback bag." Every fr- I said, oh, my God, this is Stone Age. You know, for me, it was Stone Age. I said, but this needs to change. This country can't remain like that. You know, I mean, a flight to Germany was only on a Saturday to Munich once a week. Otherwise, you had to go to Rome or you had to go to London. You literally were cut off. You know, I remember my granny saying, do you have electricity or are you, I mean, you thought I'm in Africa?
0: <laughs> but what did that look uh, like for a, for a young lady in 1974? I mean, you obviously embrace adventure and you're obviously bold and outspoken, but you're obviously wise enough to say, I don't know everything. But for you as a woman... What, what did that look like? Were you ever fearful? Were you ever... Did your friends and your peers ever say to you that you were crazy or... Yes,
1: I mean, especially my parents were a bit taken aback. They had just got me a very nice flat. They said, my God, you have everything and now you just leave everything. I think maybe, again, my father was the one more understanding. He said, let her fly so she can come back. I mean, he said, that's always an experience. I think my mother couldn't... Under- my mother never... My mother was so different from me. For her, it was always children. And, and she could never understand, literally, that I enjoyed work or whatever. But then as well, coming back when I came to Malta, first and foremost, I had to get to know the whole way. And I said, if I am in a foreign culture, I need to find out the culture. I mean, obviously, this is not Germany. I can't create Germany, so I get to know them. And to get to know them is... Look around what they, so there was the um, uh, uh, Malta Federation of Industry, which were all the industry players, and I said, look, I need to go where business people are. First, I I went to the chamber, but at the time, the chamber were more the importers, not the manufacturers, and the manufacturers were more with the federation, and that was, but uh, like a fastens maybe, uh, Barnes England, the shipping, the flour mills, the locals, they didn't really have foreign uh, thing, but we had quite a number of foreign industry here because there was an English industry and a lot of the German industry started coming, actually from 74, 75 onwards, because they had then at uh, Malta Enterprise, at, uh, some MDC at the time, they had this German who brought medium-sized German companies down. So there was quite a following, and the Germans used to meet up. I used to have as well, we used to meet once a week in a beer garden, and I said, anybody who needs to know how things are going, we can help you a bit, how with the customs, how to do this, you know. So we kept between us. And in fact, it was at that time as well that somebody said, listen, because I was always with the government as well, that you had to lobby with the government on import duties and things like that. So somebody said, look, we should make a federation of the foreign companies. And I was obviously the only girl. It was all men. And I said, but I don't like that. I said, look, I mean, to be honest, if in Germany the Americans come and make their own federation to tell us German government what to do, I wouldn't like it. I said, let's see what they have locally and join the locals. And bring our issues, because the, the, the locals should have the same issue as manufacturers, as we, and join them. They said, but you know how they are? I said, no. And I went to the Federation of Industry. I was pregnant with my first child. They looked a bit at me. They said, all right, we can, um, we never had that, but and it's not in our statute, but we can have an exporter section. I said, all right, let's do the exporter section. And I was the chairman of the exporter section. And then more companies joined, and at the end, they, the election of the president, and the president came from a foreign com- company, and all of a sudden the federation changed and became a very strong federation of manufacturers. Where at this, end, at this time, we had a bit of a different lobbying to government than the chamber. The chamber were imported, so they wanted goods to come in. We as manufacturers wanted to protect Molda a bit from all this foreign Interference, So we were not always aligned, but then obviously when Malta joined uh, Europe, and that for me as well was, I mean, when, when I saw how Malta had progressed, how far they had learned, I mean, you see, I was always very fond of the island, I think, very fond of the people because I found brilliant, brilliant team here, brilliant people very flexible very adaptable wanted to learn eager to know things if she as a German, can do it so can be Maltese and I said right you can you know you can do I mean they saw me as a woman getting pregnant and but, but this is, this is...
0: I'm gonna stop you right there because <laughs> I have to ask you I know that you'd continue telling me this story but I'm gonna jump in and interrupt you because you have just said yourself You were a woman, you were a pregnant woman, and we've had women on this show just in the last couple of months talking about the fact that this is a patriarchal society. You're a woman, you're a pregnant woman, you're a foreign woman, taking these big decisions and making these big things happen. Did you ever feel that you had things against you, that you had people not understanding you or people resisting you because, for goodness sake, you're a pregnant foreign woman. But being a foreign woman was actually maybe an advantage
1: in Malta because uh, they said, all right, these foreigners are always a bit different. You know, she's a foreigner. That actually, I think, was my advantage. Because I remember then when my Maltese managers, my female managers, they had it much tougher. I had to, again, support them, that others would say, you send me a woman. I said, yes, of course I send you a woman. I'm a woman, and she's a woman, and she's good. They had it more difficult to, as well, make the way in. I had it much easier. I was this crazy foreigner, maybe. or this, And then I was German. Big respect for the Germans, because the Germans are disciplined, they are strong. I don't know, this perception of Germany, because I remember as well, you know, this client coming to the factory, and he said, I I was there, down at the reception, we were a small company, and he said, I want to speak to the German lady. I said, I'm the German lady. No, the big one, the German one. I said, I am. (laughs) You know, this perception of this. Large, big, strong, you know, and there I was this tiny dot maybe. But I think respect you need to earn. Uh, And what I felt as well, what was so good, uh, uh, Trudy, that I had these lovely people to work with. I love people. And I think if you empower people, if you listen to them... I did not do this company on my own. We all did it together. I had this lovely team, you know. We went for weekends trying to say what is really our vision, what is our mission, trying to... thought. But it wasn't me alone. It was them. All right, you need to have leadership and you say, all right, that's the way, and we go for it. But I empowered them. I took always very young people, I must say, I mean, we were... Why
0: why young people?
1: Because you can mould them. They are not yet that, because every time I tried with them, they would try and tell me, no, 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 it's not done like that. It's done like that. I said, no. Hang on a second.
0: That's what you said before. That's what you told your boss that he was wrong. uh, I
1: mean, why can't I challenge everything? uh, You know, I mean, you don't have to accept because it's been done like that. It has to be like that. I was the first one then to visit General Vergas Union to make sure that our people get a bank account. And they got a bank account because this, I didn't like this money and the uh, risk and the uh, cash and this uh, accounting, the pennies. I said, no, we need bank accounts. The biggest problem was that, at this is the story of an old Malta, so take it with a pinch, that the, the men didn't like a bank account. They didn't want their wives to know what they earned because from the earning of... Then Molda Lire, they gave me with a wife eight, you know. So it was, and I couldn't, because I said, why don't they want a bank account? No, because they don't want anybody to know what they really earn, you know. Then I was the first one who had an ADM in front of the company, because I had shift workers. I said, I want an ADM that they can go at night and don't have to. You at the bank on a Saturday morning because I mean, you know, you used to go to the bank to cash your check. I said, and I was the first one to get a ADM right in front of the company and everybody, all the other companies. Of course, she always gets the way, this girl. Of course, they thought I get my way. I thought it was just logical. And I told the bank. Do it, you already, I mean, at the time we were 500 people. You have 500 customers on this ATM. Plus it's at the beginning of the industrial estate, so everybody will use it. It's the best thing you can do. Instead of going to Sleemar, think, here are the working people and and shift workers. So it was logical. I I think if you think logical and go this way out, people will understand at the end of the day. So we always broke rules. You know, I think we, we were never very conventional but in my time. I mean, human resources, and I still don't like the word human resource. I think a human is not just a resource. For a personal manager, you just make the paycheck. And, and I think, no, there is much more in people. Empower them, listen to them, make the company together, you know, because then they are loyal to you, they feel good with you. I mean, like, for example... I'm very passionate about corporate social responsibility and SDGs, obviously, because I lifted my people. Our workers came and they said, toy company, you know, Mrs. Lul, my parish priest needs something for the orphanages or this one needs. And I said, listen, I mean, I, I love to give and we always did, but I'm not Mother Teresa. We are in business to make some money. I said, look, let's do it differently. Let's see how generous you are. Voluntarily, how much do you give every month from your salary? Whatever you collect, I will match. And then we, have, we make a fund, and then together we decide what we want, to whom do we want to give. And they really surprised me. They collected quite a nice sum, and we obviously matched it, and we created this V-Fund, which we set a proper statute. then that obviously because we gain from children, our profit comes from toys, from children, we give back to children. So we made this refund and we said as well, 50% is collected by our own people. So give back to our own people to see whoever in their families or friends has a child with a problem. Either needs medical, needs special schooling, needs equipment. We had a board which was our company, do- because we had a company doctor, a full employed, not one who just signs you're sick, but a company doctor who will Look after you until you don't report sick when you are not sick. If you're really sick, we will help you, but don't abuse the system. So even our, our employees never abused, they un- because we looked after them. He was the first doctor within the abroad to, to, to teach occupational health, that you don't sit on a chair pr- properly, that your arms, your movement, that they have to change workplace, otherwise it will be repetitive movement. You don't use a, a, a human being like a machine, that would be wrong you know so we did all that so we were very I think we were looking at things totally different and I think that is where women are so powerful I think we look at things differently
0: Will you say that and I'm going to come to a question but first of all what I what I want to just come to as a summary is that that you're driven that you're ambitious that you are a little bit crazy uh <laughs> that you look at things differently and maybe that has been helped because you came from Germany and you brought those thoughts and principles and that you had good influences in your life as well. But the one thing I want to ask you, you, you just touched on it there, about women being good at thinking like this. Do you think that all women realise how powerful they can be?
1: No, I don't think they do. And I think as well, what I felt over and I told a lot of women if they are passionate about business and, and going out to work or a profession you have to be passionate you have to want it if a woman and I, I, I'm saying it genuinely I had a mother who loved motherhood and children and was perfect if you love that do that don't, don't I mean you don't have to be a business woman if you don't love it if you don't have a passion for it and I never thought I would have a passion for for business but I think I'm very good mathematically. And I love people and people make, people make a company, people make business. Then the figures will come and the ideas. So that is what I'm trying to tell people. But I want to enjoy what I'm doing. And I always as well told my people, If you don't feel like coming in the morning and enjoy coming to work, something is wrong. You have only one life and work is not prison. You don't like it, change it. Do something you enjoy. You have to feel good. We all have our boring days and our ups and downs. Not everything is always, but it's a challenge. And the challenge is, you know, I mean, my people used to tell me, is she never satisfied or happy? I said, no, but we can always question if we can do it better different. Why not that? I mean, like, for example, I had a a, a very good thing as well. We had um, day work in the assembly, but in all the departments where we had machines, they would go right round. so shift workers. But the assembly was day work. But I needed always a bit more than the eight hours. So that was normally overtime, but uh, very costly. And every day overtime, not everybody wants that as well. All right, some workers got used to it, but then I said, I need actually 12 hours. How can I get that? So, you know, you as a woman start thinking, all right, there are these women who, because the children are small, they are at home, but they would love to go and earn a bit of their own money, independent dress up. So we created... A housewife shift. These were women who would come from four till eight, four hours. Four o'clock, my day workers would go, would leave. They come in and they uh, work till eight. They had the whole day to be with their children. By four o'clock, the husband, if he had a normal day job, would be home. So they could prepare the, the cooking and whatever. But by eight half-eight, they would be home as well and be with their husband. So it did not disrupt the whole family life. But they were out for four hours meeting with other women, have their own pocket money, dressing up, and they they were, they were brilliant. I mean, they really, all right, I had to fight with the union because obviously it was less overtime for others, but then I gave them Saturday overtime. So, you know, you negotiate and, and, and you try. But then... What happened was when we built the new factory, we changed everything to just in time, 24-7, everything on shift. So all of a sudden, they didn't fit anymore. Heartbroken. We love our work and they were very good workers. And some of them already, the children had grown. I said, listen, I said, I don't want to lose you neither, but you have to now, we have to find a way where you fit in our system. I said, why don't Two of you, with four hours and four hours, become one. And do the shifts between you. You can find your own pattern one week. You do the morning shift the next week. either you, between the two of you, decide and do it. And you know, they did it, and they continued working. And this is... So thought, you know, because want, I didn't want to lose them. I could understand these girls, how much they loved their job, mm-hmm. and they were ready, maybe, as well, to, to be flexible. I think it's when you, when you feel that you are sincere, there is respect, and you're trying to find a way forward, then everybody, there are no hard barriers. Everybody tries to see it. But I think what you, your question about women, I think what always surprised me a bit is when women are being, or maybe have this perception, they have to uh, behave like men. Please don't. You are a woman, you are not a man, and we are different. We can be just as strong and as stubborn and knowing what we want, but in a different way. We don't have an ego. We want to achieve. I think we want to achieve. We want to to show that we can do it our way, and I think I always did it in a more way that uh, everybody will gain. It's a win-win. I don't like, I think in life, you can't just take you have to give and take. It has to be a win-win. Maybe it comes from a different side, but if you give, it will come back. I, I always have this belief as well. Maybe some will call me a bit naive. I don't know, but I, even in negotiation, I can be a hard negotiator, but at the end of the day, I have to know what the other person wants. Uh, what are their things? How can I give on something? which will help them, but I get what I need. You know, you have to give and you find ways if you do that. Or if not, then they, no way. I chose as well with whom I want to work. I mean, it's not always the cheapest one. I don't believe in the cheap. I think the, for a quality, there's the price. And if you want really that, the that people do you a good job, do it in time, then there's a the price to pay. And this always the cheap which was a bit more the syndrome I did not like because then people will give you a cheap price but give you a cheap product as well, give you lousy work. And at the end of the day, is that what you want? No. And now they will be be, be proud in what you do, proud in your job, ask for your price, reasonable, be reasonable, and I would pay it, you know, but I want it on time, I want my, my quality. And I think if you go with these principles, you will get it.
0: I think, Helga... That we're going to have to have a second interview with <laughs> I have you. So much more because to think. there is so many questions that I haven't even started to ask you. But one of the things that has really struck me is not just that you're an extraordinary businesswoman, but that you have a heart for empowering other people, but definitely empowering other women. And that, and I think itself, even now, is unique. And it's incredibly powerful. So I want to come to the end of this interview. And I want to ask you to come back because there are a zillion questions I still have to ask you. But but to close this part of the Helga Alul story, (laughs) I'd like you to put into a synopsis some message that you could pass on very clearly, very powerfully to other women who are listening to this. There's been these amazing stories of just so many things. Driving across uh, Europe in a beetle has just put the biggest smile on my face. But if there's some, just one thing for this interview that you could drive home. I think what was always very important for me that
1: what I don't know, I ask and I learn. I don't know everything. I will learn from others. I will be very open for even to create a system if people some people I have an idea and they say, But maybe not like that. be open, learn all the time. You know, I still learn today you you never you never know enough and I think, but be be yourself and Enjoy, have a passion for what you're doing. You live only one life. And if you make a small difference, even to one person in your life, that is a a life worth living. And I think this this value to life or value for time, time is for me such a valuable thing because, you know, you can do so much in an hour or whatever. So use it rightly. Don't waste it, you know, I hate waste, <laughs> everything. So I think it's, and be yourself, Be believe in yourself, but as well, be humble. Nobody knows everything. If somebody says something to you and you don't understand, don't be shy. There's never a stupid question, all right? Because that you always learn. Stupid, it's only if you ask twice the same thing, but always ask, if you don't know, I mean, and I have been with a lot of big business people and I was the one saying, ah, can you explain it in layman terms because I didn't understand and you feel everybody, ah, finally somebody asked because nobody understood, <laughs> but there's the, an the ego. You
0: don't, 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 Everyone's don't wanting eye. that question don't to be,
1: be yourself, be honest, be sensible, see what the other person needs as well and you never, look, nobody is an island. You can't do things on your own. Reach out. With your, either with your employees, with your team, with your family, wherever you need support, reach out for it. Ultimately, but you have to know what you want and you have a passion for it. You have to enjoy it.
0: Helga, will you come back for a second interview? I will definitely because I have a lot more to tell you. You have been an absolute inspiration to us all today. I have the biggest smile on my face and I am now possibly your biggest fan in Malta. So I'm going to have to ask you to come back. But thank you for today, for Empowered Today. Thank you so much for being with us. Pleasure
1: for me too. Thanks.